Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. We're right here on your community radio station, Forward Radio, broadcasting from high atop the historic Hayburn Building here in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM. But you also can listen to our live stream no matter where you are in the world at forwardradio.org. That's also the place to go to get podcast versions of our programs. If you hear something you like on the station, you want to hear it again or share it with somebody, you can go to forwardradio.org and find it there. We also really encourage you to go to our website to become a part of this station. We rely entirely on volunteer power and your listener contributions to stay on the air. You can do both of those things right now at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do here on Sustainability Now each week is bring in folks from around the community who are doing the good work of sustainability, and I'm really excited. It's been a long time coming. I'm finally getting to sit down with Betsy Rui. Uh, Welcome to the studio, Betsy. Hey, thanks for asking me, Justin. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Uh, I first met Betsy years ago when she became the first graduate of our Master's in Sustainability program at UofL. But now, newly elected District 21 Metro Councilwoman. Congratulations. Thank you. What inspired you to run for office? Well, past holders of the office were, shall we say, less than satisfactory, and I complained to the <laughs> privilege of having the chair of the, the Democratic Party's your neighbor. Oh. And I complained to her, and she's like, well, Nicole George has already got all this stuff in the works, and she's running for the office. Okay, let her have it. And then <laughs> I retired, and Nicole was not going to run again, and Virginia's like, do you want to run? Oh. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Well, it takes some vision and time out of your life and all that to run and then serve. That's a big commitment. So I honor you for doing that. I know it's probably not going to be easy, but how are things as you're just getting settling in? How does it feel? (laughs) As a retired teacher, we talk about having a learner's mindset, and I am constantly learning. And I have no problem telling people, I don't know what I'm doing. Please tell me. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot to learn. Uh, District 21, for those who don't know, is in the south side of Louisville. It includes wonderful neighborhoods such as Beachmont, Wilder Park, Iroquois, Southside, Belmar, Preston Park, Sunshine Acres, Linview, and a place called my old Kentucky home. I didn't know that was a neighborhood in Louisville. Yeah, that's a subdivision. There's actually a sign out front that says that. I'll be darned. And you've been living there for many years, right? You've been living on Southern Parkway for 14 plus years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So a, a Louisville native, but now been in District 21 for quite a few years now. And um, you also have this long career in teaching at, at JCPS, right? You want to talk a little bit about what that was like? Well, I spent my career teaching special ed, mm. special needs kids. Most of my time was spent with the little bitties, kindergarten, first and second grade. Oh my. <laughs> And then I finished out in middle school. And if I I was still back with the little kids, I might still be teaching. (laughs) Yeah. If you can handle middle schoolers, you surely can handle your constituents in District 21, right? (laughs) Well, wow. That's an amazing career of service uh, as well. And so uh, one of the projects that you got involved with is this thing called the Orchards of Beachmont, which is finally getting sort of established. You want to tell us about this? Okay, I was a member of the Center for Neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. This would the, this would have been the Green Institute, which they're no longer doing. I also had a project I know, with the Neighborhood I'm Institute. About that. Yeah. 
Maybe we need to work on that. Yeah, we got to get that going again. Yeah. So my project for the Green Institute was I looked at this vacant lot right there at 3rd Street and the Watterson ramp on my way to work and going, I would really love to see flowering trees in there. Wouldn't that be so pretty? Plumbee has something nice to look yeah. at instead of just an empty field. And so it took 10 years plus to <laughs> bring it not quite to fruition because we're not allowed to have any fruit yet because the trees haven't been in the ground long enough. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, to finally have trees in there. That's exciting. When did you plant? December of 21. 21. And let's shout out all the supporters of this project. Where did the funding come from? Louisville Grows. Awesome. Yay, yeah. Louisville Grows. Louisville Grows <laughs> is now our fiscal sponsor, and they, I have done so many things with them. They're such a wonderful part of our community, yep. helping to get trees where we need them. Right. And in our case, also blackberry bushes. Yeah. And vegetable starts, lots of pumpkins. Oh, really? Pumpkins? Yeah, well, they, they give you all these starts, and pumpkins really like it over there. They just kind of, <laughs> like, take over this space, and it's like, well, at least it doesn't have to be mowed. Yes, exactly. So this is, it turns out this is KYTC property? This is state yes. property? The story behind this is that there were, like, three houses and a funeral home, and it was all torn down back in the 80s. Okay. When they expanded the Waterson. Okay. So they used that, that spot to park heavy equipment. Oh, does that mean the soil's really compacted? Well, the soil's got a lot of gravel in it. Yeah. It's just, it's not very good, but it's okay for trees. Okay. But the sticker was, it's too close to an interstate ramp, so you can't put in a driveway, which made it undevelopable. Oh, okay. So it sat empty and sat empty and sat empty for decades. Yeah. Huh. So state still owns it. The state has transferred the deed oh. to the city of Louisville. Oh, wonderful. So basically it's becoming a new public space for us yes. to use. The rules we that we were given were, yes, we can do this, but you whatever you do, you must make it a public use. Yeah. It cannot be considered private. And like, well, that's what I want to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't put it in a driveway there, but how could people access it? Well, we got an easement from the homeowner next door. Nice. So we use their driveway. Okay. And it's possible to walk and bike there, right? Yes, it is. There's okay. a bus stop right out front. Bus stop right out front. Great. Had a lot of nice chats with the folks waiting for the bus going, we're going to have fruit trees here one day, and they love it. Oh, nice. And the whole idea is when the fruit's ripe, you can come pick it. Yeah. Yeah. So what kinds of fruits are there? Apples and peaches and pears and Asian pears. Ooh, I love Asian pears. And jujubes, my favorite. Really? Jujubes? There's, I think, four jujubes, and there's also a great big service berry that was planted for me. Awesome. So some native things, some definitely not native things. They're well, delicious, I've, right? I had a couple jujubes growing in the yard of our old house, and they finally came to fruit. And you can meet them hard, oh. or you can let them get squishy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd eaten them hard, and the best I can describe is like a love child between an apple and honey. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. So folks should be keeping an eye on the Orchards of Beachmont. Uh, it's right there on 3rd Street. Just It's on the south side, right, of the Waterson? Yes, right across from the Thorntons. Okay. And you've also, you were telling me earlier today, you went out walking in the woods. You, you are a big lover of Iroquois Park, right? Absolutely. Tell us why you, I love that park too, but why do you love it so much? To get up on Iroquois Hill and to be up there away from the cars and to feel safe yeah, yeah. and to feel comfortable. 
And I go up there almost every morning, and we have our own little circle of friends, and several of us have our dogs, and our dogs are running around. They're having a wonderful time chasing each other, and we're going, thank you. Now the dog will be calm when I get home. Yeah. It's just nice to have that social life up there, even mm-hmm. during COVID, living on Southern Parkway and walking in the park. I didn't suffer that much because so much of what I did was outside, and I had plenty of chances to talk to people because I was outside, and I felt safe. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the woods there is so special, and it feels so healthy and robust. And I love going there in the summertime and just feeling sort of the natural air conditioning of the woods in Mm -hmm. Iroquois Park. You can almost walk by and feel it coming out of there. (laughs) I was at a concert at the amphitheater one year, and a breeze came down off the hill oh. and the temperature dropped by, I don't know, five or 10 <laughs> degrees. It's just like, whoosh. Yeah. It's a, something about the topography combined with the woods. Really love Iroquois Park. So there's a Friends of Iroquois Park group that you're involved yes, in? Yes, there is. And do you all do things like trail maintenance or what? We do a lot of uh, like trash pickups yeah. and advocating for things that need to be done in there. And one of the things that we did early on when we formed this group, which was literally formed right before COVID, <laughs> yeah. but we had issues with littering and they were using metal barrels for trash and people would steal the barrels. <laughs> for so, scrap metal? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, a friend of mine's got pictures. He watched the guy do it. Really? And you can see the license plate on his truck. <laughs> But what Olmstead Conservancy was able to do was get us these big pieces of concrete, and they told they, they laid them where we needed to, and we dug it out, and we laid them in the ground, and then they bolted the barrels down. Oh, wow. So that was like our first big project. We felt like we really accomplished something. They won't steal these barrels. <laughs> How did they empty them? Do they have liners, I guess? Yeah, they got trash okay, bags right. in there. <laughs> Wow, they had to bolt down the trash cans. That's hard to believe. Well, Iroquois has seen some really nice investments up at at the top of the hill recently. Uh, The overlook is just spectacular now. Uh, Do you know anything else that's in the works for Iroquois Park? Well, right now they're getting ready to put a new roof on the uh, amphitheater. Oh. And there's a a lot of maintenance being done. One thing that I would like to see as a Metro Council member in that park is I want to see positive use put to the stable and back. My understanding is that was designed by, I think, Jasper Ward. Huh. And it's round. It's a really neat building. And my vision is an education building back there and a nature-based summer camp. Wow. So what's the space being used for now? Nothing. Really? The equestrian group, Equine Trail Advocates, they go back there and they do activities. And somebody does horseback riding lessons in there. But the stable itself is not used. Yeah. Huh. Did the Metro Mounted Police used to use that? They used to use it, but it fell into disrepair, and they Uh, built a new stable downtown, so now they're down there closer to the action. I see. Okay. Wow, that's an exciting possibility, then, an environmental education center. I mean, we have the Louisville Nature Center, but boy, all their programming and their summer camps just get booked up immediately, like the demand is through the roof. Well, that was my retirement gig. When I (laughs) I stopped teaching, I said, I want to spend the summer... In the woods with kids remembering what it was like to have fun with them again. (laughs) So I got on as a camp counselor. (laughs) So that first year, I was out there in the woods all day long with the kids. And yet that is kind of like the model I would like to use. I want to take something like that 
and make it more accessible to kids of a variety of incomes. As you noted, a colleague said that she tried to get her daughter signed up for summer camp and said it filled up in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's just incredible. You can't get in. Yeah. And, and, of course, there's a cost associated with it, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's in a different part of town. And having different environmental education opportunities spread around the city is just, I mean, so needed to reach all of our populations. I love that idea of making it accessible. And, boy, how would how would we go about funding something like that? I mean, this is ah. what you're starting to learn on Metro Council, right? Yeah, <laughs> the Parks Alliance study, which actually very focused on, among other things, which I haven't really talked about, is eventually there's probably going to be some sort of a separate tax dedicated to funding the parks. Oh, wow. And that's going to have to be because our parks are funded at probably 30% per capita of what a good functioning park system would look like. Really? 30%? So, yeah, wow. it's like good functioning park system is $112 per capita to fund it. And we're at like 43 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's ridiculous. We're we're depending on private investment, uh, philanthropy, to do basic maintenance. Yeah. Wow. That should be the icing on the cake, not the flour. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. How did we get so to this point where we've so underinvested in our parks, Betsy? There's such a jewel of the city and so many people love them it's just crazy to me that it hasn't been a priority i don't know Mm. it's uh, every time that there's a tight budget i've been told it's like you cut parks you cut libraries and Mm. yeah those are the things that get cut first Mm. because Mm. people don't notice Oh, come on. We and they never bring it back. (laughs) It would be one thing if you, you know, it got tight, but we know it doesn't just suddenly we get this influx and we're back to where we were. It doesn't work that way. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Betsy Rui, new councilwoman for District 21 uh, on the Metro Council, uh, representing some wonderful neighborhoods in the South End. And we're talking about uh, Iroquois Park and the many different wonderful parks in our city. Um, She also served as a teacher of special needs children at JCPS, retired in 2021. Also earned a Master's of Arts in Teaching from Bellarmine back in 2000 and was the very first graduate of UofL's Master's in Sustainability program. So I imagine that experience, was, first of all, it was difficult being the guinea pig. <laughs> no, actually, I've told people that was the best. I, I wound up broke at the end of it, but it was the best <laughs> thing I would I tell anybody. Somebody says they want to pay for you to go back to college, figure out how to make it work yeah. because it is totally worth it. Awesome. Yeah, so I mean, you were you had an interest and a passion for sustainability, but I mean, I guess it sounds like it was pretty valuable to study it. What I focused on through my master's program was sustainability in JCPS. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that they do that nobody knows about. Sure, as far as the operations, and I was trying to document all of that and be able to generate more conversation around the things that we can do with our students. To get further along, I wish I could say it was successful, but that part didn't work so well. (laughs) Well, you've got to try. (laughs) Yep, you got to try, and I'm taking all those many things that I learned, and now I have a different platform. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you kind of ran on a sustainability platform, and that's definitely something you're taking into this new position as a priority for you. And I want to dive into some of the things that are really jumping out to you as, like, urgent needs 
needs for us to address. There's so much to do in sustainability, obviously. But what have been some of your biggest priorities and concerns as you're joining the Metro Council? The biggest priority I've got from my constituents is dealing with our homeless citizens. Yeah. Because right now we are apparently in direct competition with Ja'Cory Arthur's district for who has the most homeless camps. Wow. And how do they even come up with that number? I mean, how are they? they It's reported calls. Yeah. People are calling, reporting encampments. And the gist of it, you're downtown, you're near a lot of services. Right. So that's why you've got a lot of people. But we have the gift of being at the intersection of I-65 and the Waterson. So there's lots of off-ramps to panhandle on. There's lots of date space and publicly owned space where people can camp out, and it's harder to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's a travesty of our system that we have gotten to this point where we're even arguing about this at the level that we are. Yeah, yeah. What does that argument look like on Metro Council these days? Well, I was just talking to my legislative aide yesterday because there's an assessment of a camp that ne- that is done to determine the priority in clearing it because there's kind of a balancing act between the needs of the citizens who are living there. Yeah. And I don't think even though they tell you, yeah, I'd rather live on the street, you'd rather live on the street because you can get your drugs. And you don't want all the rules that are imposed upon you living in a shelter. I get that. Mm -hmm. But now, would you really want to live there if you could live by your own rules? No. (laughs) Right, if you had your own place, right, yeah. But then again, what they are doing is running down a neighborhood because they leave giant piles of trash. (sighs) I'm sorry, but they defecate in public. Yeah, yeah. And all of this stuff is uh, drug use. Right. Prostitution. This is all affecting our neighbors. Yeah. And it's really, how do you balance the needs of the citizens on the street and the neighbors who are watching their neighborhood fall apart? Right, right. And, of course, I mean, the reason there's all this trash is because they don't have trash service, right? And the reason they're defecating in public is there's no bathrooms, right? So do we provide those things and sort of add infrastructure to this temporary, hopefully temporary encampment? Or do I mean, it seems like the city's general approach is to just come through and clear regularly, but is that kind of whack-a-mole? I mean, that's exactly what I call it whack-a-mole. <laughs> you, you knock them down over here, they'll, they'll pop up somewhere else because they've got to have a home, too. Exactly, exactly. And it's kind of like their place of business is that interstate ramp. Yeah. That's where they go to work, so they're going to live somewhere near where they're working. Right, right. So how on earth do we address this problem? <laughs> The research and the success that's been shown other places is housing first. Housing first, yeah. And so the big thing we need to do, one of the things I know that the mayor's been talking about also, is like buying disused hotels or underutilized hotels because you got a locked door, you got a bed, you got a bathroom, you got a bathroom, you know. That's a big step forward. Yeah. And if you've got somebody who wants to get off drugs, they want to stop drinking, all the stress of living on the street. Sure. That's kind of hard to do. It's enough to drive you to drink, right? Yep. (laughs) So it's like at least if we can relieve some of the stress that they have and they see that they're not being hassled and whatever their needs are being met and the facilities are there, eventually they're much more likely to come around 
and get what they need to become productive citizens again. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is all tied to the whole lack of affordable housing issue generally in the city. How particularly acute is that in, in your district in the South End? We've seen a big growth in the price of homes mm-hmm. over the COVID. Mm. The price of homes jumped up just like it did all over the country. Right, right. And your income didn't go up with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> in addition, there are large apartment complexes that I am glad to say they are now investing in and they're getting cleaned up. Oh. But that was like hundreds of apartments that were vacant. Wow, really? Yeah. Huh. Do you you have an example of one of those that people might be familiar with? The two I'm thinking of are Heritage Green, which was once known as Americana. And next to that is Colonial Oaks. Oh, yeah. Okay. They had hundreds of vacancies just because of deferred maintenance, basically, you're saying. Yeah. Well, if you you go back in Heritage Green, that place is huge. Wow. I was campaigning back, and they're knocking on doors going, there's more and more. Another door? (laughs) I think she said there's over 500 apartments in there. Wow. And who's investing in this? The, the property owners are. The, okay. Yeah, We've met with the uh, property owner at both of those complexes, and they are very interested in working with the Metro Council to help their residents, many of whom are immigrants, Yeah. to learn how to navigate the city. One of the first things that we're going to probably be doing is a class out there on how to ride a tark bus. Sure. Because they've never been exposed to things like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's many things that makes housing unaffordable. I mean, the rent is just one of them, right? Um, and then another one that's really tied to sustainability is the cost of utilities. And if you are have a really inefficient house... <laughs> uh, that one's been on my mind a lot as we talk about giving people more opportunities to put solar panels on. I mentored a student once. And at the time, we were living in a 3,600-square-foot house. And our utility bill was somewhere around 150 180 bucks a month. Mm. My student's father got a $400 utility bill. Whoa. And that was like maybe a 1,200-square-foot house, maybe. Oh, my goodness. So it's like <laughs> we need to put a priority on getting these rental homes and these more marginalized homes insulated. Yeah. Plugged up because that's been getting people kicked out of their homes when they can't afford the utility bill. Right, right. Yeah, and I wonder if there's money available federally now with uh, the Inflation Adjustment Act and all that kind of thing that Biden's initiatives seem to be oriented towards that kind of thing, energy efficiency and maybe even some renewables that might help people with their bills. Now, it's certainly something, like I said, I don't know a lot yet. Yeah. We're getting there. (laughs) But, yeah, look into sources of funding to reach out to the property owners, whether they be landlords or whether they be uh, owner-occupants, and getting them what they need. Because I can pay off your utility bill once, but if it's $400 and you can't afford it, you're going to be in that situation again. Yeah. Yeah. You've you've mentioned TARC a couple times, and, and, you know— Affordable housing in the wrong place is pretty useless for somebody who's, say, reliant on public transportation or something like that. So what does the public transportation service look like in your district, and what would you recommend for improvements? In our district, we're pretty good as far as bus service, but the issue with with TARC and it's inherent in how they're designed is that everything goes downtown. 
Sure. Yeah. And yep. if you want to go downtown, our bus service is great. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> but if you want to get across town. <laughs> yeah, we just met with uh, somebody from the from TARC just the other day, and I was talking to her about it. And one of the things that I've always envisioned, I don't know how realistic it is, but wouldn't it be nice to have a tarp that just kind of goes around on the Waterson and goes off to the bottom of the ramp and let you off, and then you you drop me off at Bardstown Road, and then I can pick up a bus. Yeah. Hmm. And that would get me that much closer to where I need to be. Yeah, it could be an express bus on the highway. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know the feasibility of that. That's. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're definitely oriented towards everybody getting downtown. Which, if you have a job downtown, that's great. But there, a lot of our jobs are are not downtown anymore so <laughs> no the vast majority of our jobs are not downtown <laughs> and of course it's a lifeline tark for for a lot of people who rely on it to get to work so or to school so that's yeah definitely something we need to keep working on speaking of transportation uh, the airport happens to be in your district does that affect what you do at all Thus far, it has not. I know a lot of people in the neighborhood are curious about that big building going in out front. Tell me about it. I haven't been down there. Oh, if you're if you're ever on the Waterson, you will see it. But it's huge, really, and it's a maintenance building for seven forty sevens. Oh, and what about noise issues around the airport? That's where I was going next. That's yeah. the big issue that we've got. And I've been to the the airport authority has noise abatement meetings, and I've gotten lists of reports, and I'm like, oh. It's not so bad in our neighborhood because some people have jet noise that shakes the pictures off the walls. Whoa. <laughs> For us, it's more along the lines of, yeah, it must be Christmas because I can hear all those jets idling out there waiting to take off for UPS. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Not the sleigh bells you want to hear, right? <laughs> uh, that's commerce. That's jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure the air quality is impacted, too. Yeah, that's one of the issues that the neighbors immediately adjacent across from what the old Highland Park area. Yeah. And then the other thing that's in your district is the Kentucky Expo Center, which is state-owned, right? Mm-hmm. Does that affect any of your neighbors in the district? Do they talk about issues related to that? Not particularly. You have issues when you have events, when oh, the state yeah. fairs around. Louder than life, right? Yeah, or <laughs> louder than life. We can talk about that one. But, and also... Uh, when they have games at the stadium. Oh. Because it makes it hard for folks to get around. Yeah. It's not necessarily in my district, but it's like across the street. We're talking today with uh, Metro Council's, one of Metro Council's newest uh, <laughs> Yeah, council. been on the job, I think, six weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> Betsy Rui is here in studio with me on Sustainability Now. Just elected uh, in November to represent District 21 on the south side with many awesome neighborhoods like Beachmont and Iroquois. Uh, and we were talking about her new priorities. She was the first graduate of UofL's Sustainability Master's program and... Uh, She's a retired teacher and advocate for public green spaces. So it's really great to have her in the studio today. Now, certainly one of the things that also I know you're really concerned about is the, the whole idea of planning and zoning. So let's spend the rest of our time just talking about the built environment in Louisville and, you know, some of your observations so far about what could be fixed and what, what some ideas are for that. We're on three committees, and one of the committees that I chose to be on was planning and zoning. Okay, yeah. And the reason I chose that as much as anything, because I get regular reports of what's coming across, and I'm looking at this one going, 
They want to build a warehouse that's 450,000 square feet. I meant to look up how many football fields that is, but I, I can't even fathom it. Yeah, just one story. Just one building, <laughs> one story, yes. Where? Where is this? It's out at Commerce Crossings out Preston Highway. Okay. And it turns out that this is, Commerce Crossings is all being built on an old farm slash the proper name for it. It's a plantation. Oh. The original farmhouse is back there. And from what I've been told, inside the original farmhouse is a log cabin from 1783. Wow. Yeah. That's supposedly the oldest structure left in Jefferson County. And it's going to be demolished for this No, that, that is still there, but you're watching that whole farm just I get see. gobbled up. Yeah. Was it an active farm, like growing food for us? Not in recent years, okay. but okay. in years past it was, yeah. 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 And so what's the zone? Is there zoning out there? <laughs> it's zoned for, you asked me exactly what that one is. And I, can, I can't tell you what yeah. letter and number that one is. Yeah. I just know that it was, it, it was at that point, And it's like, you can't really argue with this one now, but we can set the tone for what happens in our communities. And I've been involved with some zoning cases in our community, like for the Beachmont neighborhood, when they redid Crittenden Drive around the airport to put in more runways, uh-huh. all the truck traffic that used to go down Crittenden Drive to get the old naval ordinance is now coming down Southern Parkway and coming down 3rd Street. Huh. Semis in huh. a residential neighborhood. They're regularly going down residential streets because this is where Google Maps tells them to go. Oh, no. Yeah, it's bad. It's really problematic. They've torn up people's yards. Well, they're really hard on the roads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not designed for that. Yeah. And I've got uh, one resident who talks about every time one of those big trucks hits that patch in front of my house, my entire house shakes. Oh, gosh. I can imagine. Yeah. So we got to figure out how to get that patch repaved so our house stops shaking. Oh, oh. But so there was a development proposed at, out in the neighborhood, and they wanted to put in what was called a con- contractor shops. So they wanted to have a commercial spot out front and then an area out back that would be like small warehouses. Like Mm. if you're a plumber, you can store your plumbing supply in there. And theoretically, you know, you're not going to get a lot of traffic through there. But the way they wanted to zone it was manufacturing, commercial and manufacturing, which one of the things you very quickly learn in zoning is once you change the zoning, as long as it complies with the zoning, they can put anything in there. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, what you all want to do, I don't have a problem with it. But with the zoning that you're asking for, I have no guarantees that that's what you'll put in. Boy. And we don't want any more semis coming down our streets. Yeah. So we were fortunate to be able, the developer, finally, that they heard our very impassioned pleas. And they're like, okay, tell you what, we'll just compromise. We'll go ahead and go for this zoning here that lets us put in what we really want anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> so, they, well, they, cha- they changed their zoning. They were going for a more intensive zoning than they needed for what they wanted. Oh. So they backed down to the zoning that allowed them to do what they said they wanted to do anyway. <laughs> and we won. Wow, look at that. We won. Yeah. And are citizen voices involved in these decisions at all? Yes. Oh, good. This was completely citizen-driven. This, okay. this was, this was while I was still uh, campaigning, and we just wanted to make sure because what this was a, a mother and son, I believe they're Vietnamese. Yeah. And they wanted to, they wanted a shopping center that featured uh, immigrant 
uh, services. Nice. So like maybe a doctor's office where they uh, speak Spanish. Yeah. Or maybe they speak Vietnamese or maybe both. But And then they want a grocery store Ooh. that features foods from yes. countries. Are, and so it's like, I want that grocery store, too. <laughs> we like that. That part's great. Don't yeah. have a problem with that at all. We just want to make sure you don't have trucks coming down here. Right. Right. We don't want to make that problem any worse. In fact, right now we're trying to figure out how we've been trying for years to figure out how to get the trucks off. Uh, yeah. So. Well, that ties into the whole planning side of things too so um i know that louisville has been doing this uh, re-envisioning of our land development code mm -hmm. right have you been involved in that at all yes i, ha I have participated in one of those land development uh reimaginings yes we had great fun with that one of the things that the quirk of our zoning the way it's written right now is 75 percent of jefferson county residentially is zoned only single family 75 percent uh -huh. so if you want to make a more dense neighborhood you can't do it or you have you have to get a variance you have to get it rezoned so they're trying to th there's a concept called the missing middle yeah absolutely yeah. so i get you don't want a giant apartment complex i think they're kind of impersonal i don't want that either but if you drive through my neighborhood on southern parkway You'll see there's a fourplex over there. There's a fourplex over there. You wouldn't even know they were there unless you paid attention. Right. That's the missing middle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carriage houses, things like that. Carriage right? houses, uh, uh, what do I want to call them? Pedestrian courts. Yeah. Yeah. Where you share a common area. Yeah. I live on one. I love it. Yeah. I don't have to see cars when I look at my front window. It's so nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do have a missing middle. And yet, how do we get, how, boy, how do we address that problem? Because it's not like the government building these things. I guess it's all about what we permit. Yeah. And zoning and maybe what we incentivize through tax structures or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, one of the things in zoning, and this is part of what I'm learning about, is that when a developer comes with a proposal, they bring it to planning and zoning, and planning and zoning works with them to make something that can be approved. Yeah. And so if you set up new standards, then they can say, unlike this one development that we just approved, which is a bunch of apartments, and it's entirely enclosed in, so you know you can't really get out except that entrance, and it doesn't connect anything else around it, wow. which connectivity is a big part yeah. of it. So you could go back in when you rewrite this and say, okay, you're building a new subdivision. You know, you can actually get more housing in there by putting in some fourplexes. Yeah. And they would sell. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in this market, you don't have to worry about that. Huh. That's good. And so the planning and zoning committee that you're on with Metro Council actually gets down in the weeds of specific projects like that? To a certain extent. Okay. I'm learning more about how that works. Yeah, yeah. You're on some other committees, too. Might as well mention those. The Equity Community Affairs Housing, Health, and Education Committee. That sounds like everything, right? Yeah, that's a mouthful. <laughs> How does that even get managed? There's so many topics there. What kinds of things have come before that group? 
We've only had one meeting, and I okay. really can't tell you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it makes sense with your education background. Uh, certainly interested in this issue of housing that is such an issue in your district. Uh, makes sense to be on that. And, of course, the, you're on the Parks and Sustainability Committee. Of course. Of course. Well, new things are happening with the Sustainability Office getting restructured, right? Do you know yep, about that? I just had a presentation about that yesterday for us. What, what's happening? Well, I, there is a Director of Sustainability again thank you okay and she reports directly to the mayor oh okay so right now there are only two people in that office plus an intern is that how it's going to stay you think no okay it will grow good i think that i <laughs> think they've got pro- don't quote me i know you will <laughs> but i think they're budgeted for like four more people oh wow that would be so wonderful so, so wonderful. that will make a difference. Their real focus right now is on making sure that the city operations are sustainable. Yes. Then you can start moving more out into the community. Yeah. And there's been some good movement on that front of city operations. Oh, there's operations, been a lot right? of movement on that, yeah. Yeah. You want to share with listeners some of the highlights? Well, a lot of it has to do with energy efficiency. Yeah. And the way they've got that set up is the money that is saved through energy efficiency goes back into a pot, and they can invest that in other efficiencies. Nice. Yes, because we were going to spend the money on utilities anyway, but hey, if we can spend it on investing and spending less. (laughs) Well, the fewer times you have to go to Metro Council and say, can we have money? Yeah. Go ahead and have a funding mechanism set up up front to allow them to do it. And we all know that money talks. Mm -hmm. And if you can demonstrate that you're saving money, it's much easier to get these projects accomplished. Sure. I would think the the council would be very receptive to those kinds of ideas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's plenty of room still for saving money and doing the right thing for the planet, right? Uh, There's Mm -hmm. lots of opportunities there in our city. Uh, We have so far to go. (laughs) But that's, in a way, that's kind of hopeful because it means it's an easier sell and uh, we can really get a lot done with the resources that we already have, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... You're not the only person new to Metro government. We have a whole new mayor's administration. Wow, what's that been like? A lot of change. Yeah, and it feels pretty good. Yeah? It seems like from what I've gathered, there was not a very cordial relationship between Metro Council and the mayor. And Mayor Greenberg seems to want to work very collaboratively. Oh, good. He's surrounded himself by people who have already been on Metro Council. Yeah, So they know how the system works. And he's reached out. He went to a Republican caucus meeting. And he stayed there for half an hour. And they're scratching their heads going, no mayor's ever shown up over here. (laughs) So they're real happy with that. That's neat. Because that's showing that he's he's willing to talk to everybody involved in this. And let's work together. Oh, let's hope he keeps that up and doesn't get too jaded about it. I'm sure there will be opportunities to get jaded, but <laughs> yeah, let's try not to. Idealism, idealism is really helpful. Yeah. Have you had the opportunity to meet the new mayor? I've met him several times. Oh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and have a conversation with okay. him. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I've met him on a lot of occasions. One day I'll tell you a little story just because it's silly, <laughs> but. He was coming to an event at Olmstead South Middle School, and I was walking my dog past there, and my dog, an eight-month-old Australian Shepherd, and he, <laughs> he likes to carry things. <laughs> and Craig comes to meet later, and he said that was hilarious because my dog's trotting down the road with a bottle in his mouth. <laughs> 
I said, yeah, that's Briscoe, the litter picking pup. <laughs> he does the litter pickup, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, he picks up litter. At least now he doesn't bite me when I try and take it from him. <laughs> Thank you. Good dog. Now I'll put it in the trash can. Yeah. <laughs> he takes after his mom, right? I guess so. <laughs> That's a great story. I love it. Uh, well, this has been such a treat to sit down with you at this exciting time of transition and everything. I, I really do hope you'll you'll come back a little later as you've had more experience with the with the Metro Council and these committees to give us some more inside scoop. Okay, let me learn a little more. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, but this has been great, Betsy. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And good luck in the new position. I hope it's rewarding. I hope you're able to do some great work with the Metro Council. I hope so, too. I'm excited to see what we can accomplish. All right. Come back sometime. Stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Forward Radio and Sustainability Now. Get your calendars out because I've got a community action calendar coming up in just a second with a whole bunch of ideas about ways you can get engaged this week in sustainability right here in Louisville. So stay tuned, my friends. back here on sustainability now with me justin mogg i hope you're ready for action this week there is a lot going on in this week of love why don't you feel a little love for the planet and for other people this week too and uh yeah boy i don't want to be a killjoy but there are some things coming up on valentine's day itself if you don't have other plans with your sweetie and you want to get active for sustainability yes tuesday february 14th is actually we love voting rights lobby day and rally in frankfort kentucky at the capitol from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., the Kentucky Voting Rights Coalition invites you to join them for just the 1.30 to 2.30 rally in the Capitol Rotunda or perhaps for the whole day. Together, Kentuckians can build a healthy democracy where everyone's voice counts. No exceptions. Right now, about 200,000 Kentuckians with felonies in their past still cannot vote, and that is just not right. Citizens will be gathering in Frankfurt at the Capitol on Valentine's Day, February 14th, to restore voting rights to Kentuckians with felonies in their past. Participants will meet at 9 a.m. at the Capitol Annex, Room 154, to train and then break into small teams and have conversations with legislators throughout the day. Then we'll be gathering at 1.30 in the Capitol Rotunda for a rally led by people directly impacted by this issue, telling their stories. Bring a photo ID to get into the building and try to arrive early. Don't worry if you've never done anything like this before. We'll start with a training and lobby teams will be made up of a mix of people who are brand new to this and others who've been doing it for years. You can learn more and sign up at mobilize.us slash kftc mobilize.us slash kftc for the we love voting rights lobby day and rally in frankfort kentucky at the capitol on tuesday the 14th 
Now, also, uh, it's, of course, uh, Valentine's Day, but it's also the date of the next Beyond Plastics Louisville group meeting on Tuesday at 7 p.m. online. Not only will we follow up on discussions from our January meeting, but we have information to share on an exciting new program, BYOUS Reduces. The idea is simple. Businesses that accept BYO containers put a sticker in their windows, letting their customers know they can shop with their own containers hassle-free. At our meeting, we will learn how the program has been implemented in Ithaca, New York, and how we might get it started right here in Louisville. So, unless you're out celebrating Valentine's Day with your sweetheart, we hope that you will join us at 7 p.m. on Tuesday the 14th to learn about more ways we can collaborate on action to reduce plastic pollution. Find the link to register for the Tuesday 7 p.m. meeting at facebook.com slash groups slash beyondplasticsluky. That's a Facebook group, Beyond Plastics, L-O-U-K-Y. Now, coming up on Wednesday, February 15th, it's the Statewide Fairness Rally and Lobby Day out at the Kentucky Capitol in Frankfurt. The uh, lobbying meetup will be at 9 a.m. Eastern in the Capitol Education Center, 706 Capitol Ave there in Frankfurt. And the rally will be at 1.30 at the Capitol Rotunda, 700 Capitol Avenue. Citizens will be rallying and lobbying with the Fairness Campaign for LGBTQ rights right here in Kentucky. You can learn more and sign up at fairness.org. We hope to see you out on Wednesday the 15th at the state capitol for the statewide Fairness Rally and Lobby Day beginning at 9 a.m. with the rally at 1.30 in the Capitol Rotunda. All right, also coming up Wednesday at 6 p.m. right here in Louisville, it's Green Drinks, uh, and it's taking place at 6 p.m. on the 15th at New Roots, right next door to the Table Cafe there, 1800 Portland Avenue. For this month's Green Drinks, we will convene at New Roots, where we'll be taking this opportunity to learn more about the Louisville Sustainability Council's Community Grant Program and hear from former grant recipients. The Louisville Sustainability Council's Green Drinks is a casual bi-monthly meetup of community members and organizations featuring different speakers from across the city to educate and inform the community on local happenings, projects, and initiatives. Each presentation is followed by Q&A, discussion, and networking, and it's held at various restaurants and bars around town or sometimes a wonderful partner organization like New Roots. Green Drinks takes place on the third Wednesday of every other month at 6 p.m. You can learn more at LouisvilleSustainabilityCouncil.org or just come on out this Wednesday at 6 p.m. at New Roots, 1800 Portland Avenue. On Thursday, February 16th, uh, it's the next in the third Thursday lunch series, this month featuring Hannah Drake. Proud Forward Radio Community Partners, the Fellowship of Reconciliation and Sowers of Justice Network present Hannah Drake, Chief Creative Officer of Ideas X Lab, an artist-run nonprofit based in Louisville. In recognition of Black History Month, writer, historian, and Louisvillean Hannah Drake, known for her penetrating social analyses and commanding presence at the microphone, will talk about her unknown project, a multimedia installation on the banks of freedom, located the Ohio River Walk between 9th and 10th Streets, a memorial to enslaved peoples whose stories may never be uncovered. 
and a challenge to us all to unearth narratives hidden in attics and archives. You can find the link to register for this online event or just watch the live stream at the Sowers of Justice Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. The Sowers of Justice Louisville Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. To register for the noon Thursday, the 16th, third uh, Thursday lunch series with Hannah Drake. It's going to be great. Now, also this week on Friday, we continue the Urban Agriculture Coalition's Winter Orchard Brigade. They're a proud community partner of us here at Ford Radio, and they're hosting these wonderful public orchard prunings, and it's a great opportunity for you to learn how to maintain your fruit trees over the winter and for a healthier and uh, more productive spring and summer. And this Friday, the 17th, we'll be at U of L's Urban and Public Affairs Garden, located at 426 West Bloom Street. And we'll be there from 2 to 5 p.m. You can sign up for the whole three hours or just drop in on Friday from 2 to 5, 426 West Bloom Street. You can learn more and sign up to volunteer at foodinneighborhoods.org slash grow. Or for this specific event, you can always find it at louisville.edu slash sustainability. And the uh, series of Orchard Brigade prunings continues on the 24th out at Shawnee People's Garden, so don't miss it. Coming up also Saturday, February 18th, it's the Great Backyard Bird Count, and there'll be hikes happening uh, group bird counts happening out at Bernheim from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. or at the Louisville Nature Center from 10 a.m. to noon. You can join the world's largest biodiversity-related citizen science project called eBird. eBird's an online database of bird observations providing scientists, researchers, and amateur naturalists with real-time data about bird distribution and abundance. The Great Backyard Bird Count runs for four days in February, and over these four days, people spend time in their favorite places watching, counting, and reporting their observations, which are used to help scientists better understand global bird populations. On this guided hike uh, out at the Louisville Nature Center, their experienced naturalist and bird watcher will help participants to identify some of Louisville's beautiful birds and log their findings into eBird. Participants will learn ID tips such as field marks, behavior, habitat, vocalizations, and more. It's for all skill levels of birding ages 12 and up. Grab your binoculars and smartphones to join the world's largest biodiversity-related citizen science project. You can get your tickets and learn more about these great backyard bird count hikes happening on Saturday morning, February 18th at LouisvilleNatureCenter.org or out at Bernheim.org. Now, also coming up on Saturday, February 18th, it's the next in the Metro Louisville neighborhood tree plantings. These are hosted by our city government, Louisville Metro Parks, and they invite you out to join us for a fun afternoon of tree planting. This Saturday, the 18th, they'll be out from 1 to 4 p.m., at the corner of East Jacob and South Preston in beautiful Smoketown. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be planting about 50 trees to make Louisville streets a little greener. Tools, gloves, and guidance will be provided by the Urban Forestry Team. No experience is necessary. Groups and families are also welcome. So sign up today using the My Impact app, and you can find the link for that at bestparksever.com. And the series continues every other Saturday from 1 to 4 through uh, April 15th. 
Now, also coming up this weekend on Sunday, February 19th at 1 p.m., there's going to be an anti-oppression training taking place online. The Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition invites everyone to join us for their first online workshop of the year, where we'll be diving into an anti-oppression training. Having an anti-oppression framework is critical to any community organizing, and in this training, we'll be exploring the role that power and privilege play in group dynamics. We'll understand ways we can address privilege in our own lives and how our organizations can address it in our work. You can learn more about this wonderful event from the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition and register for the online event, which again is Sunday, February 19th at 1 p.m. to 2.30. You can register at tinyurl.com slash ZCA number two NTPF. tinyurl.com slash ZCA the number two NTPF. Also want to remind you that there is a beginner beekeeping survival school happening uh, February 19th through March 11th. If you're interested in getting started in beekeeping and want to learn the basics from local beekeepers, this is the event for you. Back for its second year, the beginner beekeeper survival school packages the bare essentials you'll need to have for a successful first year of beekeeping. This joint program includes Spencer Bullet, Kentuckiana, and Oldham Bee Clubs, acting as rotating host for this 16-hour program to prepare beginners for their first year. You can register for individual sessions or all four. They cost uh, $10 each and do require advanced registration. It all starts this coming Sunday the 19th from 1 to 5 p.m. with the first session out at uh, hosted by the Spencer County Beekeepers Association out at Noisy Bee Place uh, in Mount Eden, Kentucky, north of Taylorsville Lake. And the, there'll be an introduction to beekeeping, basic bee biology, and beekeeping equipment. And you can learn about all of it and find detailed information and registration at eventcreate.com slash e slash beekeeper survival. Eventcreate.com slash e slash beekeeper survival. Also, Sundays throughout February, there's an African-American history film series taking place at our neighbors here at Ford Radio, the main public library on York Street. And it's every Sunday in February at 1.30 p.m. So coming up this February 19th, they will be showing the incredible film Till, the true story of Mamie Till Mobley's relentless pursuit of justice for her 14-year-old son, Emmett Till, who in 1955 was lynched while visiting his cousins in Mississippi. It's a two-hour and ten-minute film that begins at 1.30 at the main public library on York Street. It is free this Sunday at 1.30. Also this Sunday the 19th at 4 p.m., it is the Yearlings Club Forum Series on White Allies of Civil Rights, taking place at Roots 101 African American Museum at 124 North 1st Street. UofL invites the public to join us for a Black History Month program on Sunday, an exhibit tour and panel discussion on white allies of civil rights. The exhibit recognizes 39 white Louisvillians who made significant contributions to the civil rights movement from 1950 to the present, focusing largely on the turbulent period of the 60s, when efforts on the national and local stage peaked. A panel of family representatives from the white allies featured in the exhibit discussed their relatives' courage and decisions to become an ally of one of Louisville's most important historical events. The panel will include Mary Furlong Coomer, an activist, 
Carla Wallace, a community activist and daughter of Henry Wallace, Mike Ward, a political consultant and son of Lukey Ward, and Bill Allison, an attorney. The program will be moderated by Kate Fossil, associate professor and co-founder of Uville's Ann Braden Institute. Registration is required, and you can find the link to do so at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Again, it's this Sunday the 19th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Roots 101 African American Museum. Coming up on Monday the 20th, it's Youth Climate Activism in Kentucky online at 7 to 8 p.m. You can find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. If you're involved or interested in work to address climate change in Kentucky, well, the Kentucky Student Environmental Coalition invites you to hang out with folks who are also doing that and learn how others' lives have led them to this work during a virtual presentation and conversation. Jerry Catherine Howell will summarize the events of the results of her research as a master's student at UK that sought to better understand youth climate activism in Kentucky. It's a phenomenal resource for any Kentucky activist looking to engage with youth on climate issues. Participants will also have time to connect with one another by sharing related opportunities, resources, questions, and stories. In this context, youth climate activism involves anyone who identifies as young or youth and takes action to address climate change. The research focused on participants ages 18 to 24. All ages are welcome to join this virtual presentation and conversation. You can find the link to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. It's on Monday the 20th at 7 p.m. online. Also starting Monday, it's the 13th annual Human Trafficking Awareness Conference, Climate Change and Migration from February 20th to 22nd online. You can find the links to join free at louisville.edu slash sustainability. On Monday the 20th, it'll be uh, from noon to 1.30 p.m., and the theme is Climate Change, Migration, and Vulnerability to Trafficking. This session will cover how the impact of climate change and environmental degradation in deepening is deepening inequality, driving migration, and creating vulnerability to modern slavery, human trafficking, and forced labor within borders and across borders. It will explain why this connection needs to be acknowledged and treated with urgency and what actions are needed at the international, regional, and national levels. So you can learn more from the presenter, Ritu Bharajwaj, Principal Researcher and Team Leader, Governance of Risk, Climate Change Group at the International Institute of Environment and Development. That's Monday the 20th from noon to 1.30 online, and it kicks off the 13th Annual Human Trafficking Awareness Conference, which runs through next Wednesday the 22nd. And you can find more information and the links to join. No need to register at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also want to remind you that the deadline is coming up to apply for those sustainability grants from the Louisville Sustainability Council. The Louisville Sustainability Fund offers grants to support innovative entrepreneurial projects and programs to plan for the impact of climate change on our most vulnerable citizens while supporting community equity and resilience. Applicants may request a minimum of $250 and up to $5,000 in funding. Anyone in the Louisville metro area may apply, including individuals, institutions, businesses and nonprofits. The deadline is March 1st for this year's annual cycle. You can learn more at Louisville Sustainability Council.org. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so, so much for tuning in this week. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.